fine. Okay, perfectly fine. Fine. Okay, fine. 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 You are listening to Everything is Fine in Southwest Washington, a political podcast where we recognize that everything is not at all fine, discuss what we can do about it, and empower you to connect with your community. Welcome to the show, Alex Brennan, the executive director of FutureWise, an organization from Washington that believes the elements of a strong, resilient community are the same no matter its size. You should have a healthy home you can afford, be able to walk, bike, roll, and take transit where you need to go, have access to food from local farms, and enjoy stunning natural spaces and wildlife habitats. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks, Carissa. It's great to be here. So what is, I'll just start here, what does FutureWise do to help cities and towns make this vision for communities a reality? Yeah, so we're we're an advocacy group. We work statewide in Washington State, and we are really focused on, um, on planning and land use policy. So um, helping cities and counties when they engage in their comprehensive plan updates, when they um, uh, are really thinking about the growth strategy for their community, how are they going to accommodate and manage growth, how are they going to invest in um, the infrastructure and services that are needed for communities as they grow, um, how can we really embed our values in um, in the changes that we know are coming. Um, and so we, we do advocacy um, in the state legislature uh, for uh, better state frameworks um, around that kind of planning. And then we also do um, advocacy and uh, technical assistance and legal action um, in communities across the state. Okay, so touching on that, um, for those who don't know, could you possibly just explain what the Growth Management Act is and then, yeah, how that relates to these comprehensive plans? Like, what are those, you know, possibly the history of the Growth Management Act as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, So, you know, historically, uh, a city could develop a comprehensive plan if it wanted to um, as sort of a voluntary exercise that might be helpful in thinking about how a community was going to grow and kind of planning for investments in the future. But there wasn't really a comprehensive uh, framework or set of requirements of what that should look like. And there wasn't really accountability to actually follow through on those things. And so the, the Growth Management Act really came out of a uh, citizen like community, grassroots community organizing um, in communities across the state that were really seeing the negative impacts of um, that lack of planning and accountability that they were seeing um, the loss of farmland and wildlife habitat that they were seeing infrastructure costs go up as we were building further and further out um, and building out low densities, it became more and more expensive to provide the basic services that people needed. Um, people were seeing that the new development that was being built was often, you know, single use. So you would be in a uh, in a residential neighborhood that would have no uh, local stores or community gathering spaces that wouldn't have kind of the essential ingredients that make a healthy community. Um, and so there was sort of a reaction against this, and there was a sense that we couldn't solve those problems at the local level in each community. We needed a state framework that could kind of uh, bring together a coordinated solution to those problems. Um, and so 
there uh, there was a campaign to put a ballot initiative um, on the state ballot. Um, ultimately, the legislature was motivated by that to come to the table and work with uh, advocates to uh, pass legislation in 1990 that then was kind of uh, finalized in 1991. Um, and then the, the communities that had been advocating for this Growth Management Act found it futurewise to kind of be the steward of of that act. So, so and and what it what it does. I mean, the Growth Management Act it sets basic requirements for comprehensive plans that they have to um, be updated um, on uh, at a certain time. Now that's on a ten year cycle, so every ten years, your county or city has to update its plan. Um, that it has to uh, address a set of kind of fourteen. Um, areas of planning. These are things like um, housing and transportation and capital facilities. Um, and that uh, you know, those plans have to meet certain state requirements. And then just in the last couple of years, we have really been campaigning uh, at the state level to make some of the biggest updates to um, to that state framework uh, that we've had since the early 90s. And so there was um, a really uh, kind of comprehensive overhaul of the state housing requirements that were passed um, in 2021. And so in this next update, um, local jurisdictions are going to kind of be more accountable in planning for the full housing needs that are projected for their communities to plan for uh, affordability at every affordability level and remove barriers that are making housing more expensive. Um, and then also to look at things like um, exclusionary zoning policies that have excluded certain communities or excluded people by income and undo those policies. And then also look at displacement risk, um, the, the risk that market forces might just uh, be more likely to displace certain communities and. Uh, take action to mitigate that as well. Um, and then the other big update that we've been working on for several years, and we're really hoping will pass this coming legislative session, is adding a climate change element. We know that the way that our communities grow has a big impact on our greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and we also know that our our landscape is changing, our weather is changing as the climate changes, and that we need to get ready for those changes now. Um, so this bill would both uh, take measures to reduce our emissions, and it would also take measures to uh, come up with sort of resiliency and adaptation strategies for climate changes. So does this element, would it mandate some kind of specific target of greenhouse gas emissions? Um, yes, though so that gets a little more complicated in the details. So the state already has greenhouse gas emissions reduction targets, and this bill would align city and county planning with those state targets. But we're, it won't actually require local governments to do emissions modeling. So you're not actually going to have to pay a consultant to develop a really complicated model of how what your emissions are under one plan versus another. Um, instead, the way that it's going to work is the state is going to um, 
develop its develop guidance, basically a set of recommendations for this is a menu of policy changes that you can make that academic research has shown reduce emissions and things that reduce a lot of emissions um, will be worth more and things that have smaller impacts will be worth less. And you can kind of pick from that menu to meet a certain threshold of reductions um, in order to kind of meet the requirements. So, uh, so instead of kind of having an exact uh, measurement or model of your of emissions, you basically need to adopt a certain number of policies that um, have been shown to have those kinds of reductions. Um, and the state is going to be you know, providing a lot of resources and information on what those could be. Um, and there's going to be a lot of flexibility to, to kind of pick and choose the things that are going to make the most sense for your local community. Okay, so there's a, a lot of flexibility there, but they do have to meet a, a some kind of requirements there. Is that correct? Yeah, so the way that we're expecting this to be designed is that there'll be a menu and you'll have to, and different menu options will have uh, different point values and you'll have to meet a certain point threshold. So let's say you have to get like 25 points total and you know this policy well, is worth five points and this one's worth 10 points and this one's worth one point. And so you have the flexibility to pick and choose which ones you want, but um, uh, but you're still held accountable that you actually have to meet that threshold. Or you can say, we don't like these options. Our community is unique, and we're going to do our own study and analysis to show that we have a different strategy that will have a similar reduction impact. But then the kind of level of scrutiny um, is a bit higher because you have to show that your alternative strategy is as good as the state recommendations. That's that level of detail doesn't go into a piece of legislation. So the the bill that we're advocating for this year, HB 1181, doesn't get into like that level of detail on how that's implemented. But um, the State Department of Commerce, which kind of oversees the Growth Management Act, the the information that they've come out with so far and from our conversations with them, that is kind of how we expect them to uh, implement their guidance and practice. Okay, awesome. So there, there is some accountability there. There are these requirements. Um, so if a, but if a community wants the strongest action on climate possible, um, you know, that's probably, that's going to be up to the people to come out and advocate for those things, yes. right? So it's not, you know, we pass this bill and then, okay, good. The county's just got to do these things. Um, I'm speaking, of course, of Clark County and their comprehensive plan update um, here locally. But yeah, so if if we want more, the the people need to need to voice uh, support for something um, even more progressive or or um, just more action on climate and all of these yeah. other elements. So our, our hope is really that these new state requirements, they're a floor, not a ceiling, right? This right. is sort of the bare minimum that you need to do. And obviously we hope that most places will do more. 
Uh, and one of the things that's exciting about that is, is by adding this as a component of a comprehensive plan, it really creates a new um, venue for climate advocacy at the local level. And I think, you know, that opens up a lot of opportunities because we do have so many opportunities. There are so many ways that we can design our communities to make it easier to, to walk and bike, um, to, to make goods and services closer to your home, to have your, your job closer to your home, um, to manage our, uh, our farms and forests in ways that will have climate benefits. Um, but oftentimes climate change can feel like this really overwhelming a giant problem and that the decisions are made far away from us. And so hopefully this is really a, a great opportunity for people both to, to see the connection between their daily lives and, and climate impacts, and then also to be able to take action. So yeah, speaking of this bill, where are we at in the legislative process for the climate element? Yeah, so... Um, so it's very exciting. So again, this, uh, this bill is uh, House Bill 1181, and the um, we're about halfway through the state legislative session this year right now in the middle of March. Um, we have passed out of the House. Um, so that's the the first chamber that we started in. Um, I, the There was a cutoff requirement by last week. We had to have passed out of that first chamber. So we, we passed out of the House, and now... Um, now the bill moves over to the Senate. So there was also a Senate companion bill, but the House bill, because it's passed, becomes sort of the main bill now, and it, it moves over to the Senate. And then we'll start hearings um, uh, in uh, the Senate, and we'll kind of move through the committee process. Um, and so we, uh, I think that the big thing that um, that we're concerned about is just time. The legislative session is short. We feel like there's a lot of support for this policy. But last year, there, you know, we had uh, enough votes to pass the bill, but the legislature ran out of time on the last day. They either had to pass the supplemental budget or pass our bill, and they prioritized passing the budget, understandably. Um, and so the bill just never came up for a final vote. Um, and so we really want to make sure that doesn't happen this year. We, um, in order for these rules to be in place, um, or in order for local governments to have the time to really respond to these new rules being in place, we need to get it passed this year. Um, and so we want to move through the committee process really quickly. And so there's a lot of opportunities to, uh, you can sign in pro on the bill in each committee to voice your support. You can also email your state legislators. And um, that's one of the things that we're trying to make it easy for folks to do. You can sign up on our mailing list to get updates that have easy links to um, where you can do that to um, help get us get the bill through the legislature this year. Okay, awesome. And we will definitely like include all those links in the show notes. I do just kind of want to go back to, um, I just had a question. I'll just tell you like a little bit about what's going on in Clark County. And then like, I'm, I'm just starting to learn about this whole um, Growth Management Act process and the elements and everything. And so like when I went back to read, um, read those elements, 
Um, and you said this has been in place since the 90s, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they sound wonderful, right? So there's uh, encouraging urban growth, reducing sprawl, encouraging efficient multimodal transportation systems, affordable housing, protecting the environment um, was there before this, uh, hopefully additional climate change element as well. Um, encouraging yes. the all, yeah, encouraging the the involvement of citizens, um, et cetera. But when I look at my county, I think that they have yet to achieve that vision, um, despite having created previous comprehensive plans, you know, as mandated by the GMA before, like it's not walkable, bikeable, transitable, very healthy. Uh, there's massive multi-lanes roads, congestion, tons of sprawl, strip malls, parking lots, housing affordability is crazy. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I'm like, how has this been? I mean, like, are the requirements just so low? Can they be, be uh, circumvented? You know, they like the, can the uh, a county make a plan and then not really follow through with it? Um, also, I, I believe I said before we recorded our, well, maybe I didn't tell you that, sorry, uh, but our Clark County Council has historically been very conservative, of course, and today it, it still is. Um, so I'm guessing that has something to do with it. But um, yeah, that's just what I'm I'm just worried about with this act. Like, how do we really get them to to enforce it? Yes, great question. <laughs> Big question. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, and I mean, and this is, you know, this is the most important piece in some ways, right? Because you can have like some really great language in a bill, but if it's not enforceable, um, if there's no way to hold people accountable, then it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, I I think there's a couple, there's both a couple things going on that maybe have uh, created the current situation in Clark County. I'm not a Clark County specific expert. Um, but I do I do have some context for that. And then I think there's some ways in which we're trying to um, improve that accountability going forward. So I think one of the big challenges is, you know, the, the Growth Management Act was created in the 1990s. Those first plans under the GMA framework happened in the mid-90s. And the in in the first round of plans i think that there there was kind of a less um less clarity about how to implement the how to understand the state requirements and how to implement them properly and so a lot of counties ended up still really expanding their what we call the urban growth area sort of the area where new urban or suburban style development can happen um, a lot of counties in that first plan, they made those areas really big. And at, and now there are tools to prevent that from happening. But once that got established, it's really hard to shrink that. We can kind of prevent it from growing further. So, you know, I, uh, my understanding is that Clark County is, the, is one of the counties that really did that. And so the kind of starting place of the urban growth area that's that's already in place is really oversized um, and so you see a lot of the problems then that you're talking about you see that kind of urban sprawl that low density suburban development that's replacing um farmland and forest land that's replacing like um 
you know, some of the really beautiful natural areas that bring people to this region. Um, and that also then you need like really big wide roads because the only way to get around in those places is to drive. Um, and so there, the amount of, uh, auto infrastructure that you need is really high. And that really takes away resources from being able to invest in things like walkability. Um, and also if you, you know, if you have a really low density, all residential neighborhood, for example, you have limited things to walk to, right? And so even if you have really nice sidewalks, if it's, you know, three miles to get to the nearest store, you're not going to have people walking to the store or walking to a coffee shop to hang out with their, their friends. Um, so I think, you know, that, that kind of base baseline condition sort of is, is one of the things that we're struggling with. Um, I will, I will say, you know, subsequently over the years, um, Clark County has, has continued to try and, um, both expand that urban growth area and also allow types of development in rural areas that are more like suburban development. And we've actually, so one of the things that we do is we challenge some of those things in court. And so we've actually um, taken Clark County to court a fair amount of times. And um, and uh, just a few years ago, won a series of victories that really prevented um, development on um, rural lands and, and farmland in a lot of parts of the county where the initial proposals had had been to really allow a lot more um, suburban style development out in those areas. And, and so, you know, I think victories like that are going to kind of change, start to change some of that paradigm. Um, I think the other thing, you know, with the, the climate bill, the, the, there's kind of two intents here, right? One is we really want to be, uh, you know, have a growth management act framework. That's more about saying yes to things that we do want and not just saying no to the things we don't want. Um, and so this is helping create a vision of like, what is that healthy community that we want to be investing in and, and designing for? Um, because I think there's a lot of overlap between a healthy community and a climate resilient community. Um, the other thing is I mentioned that kind of menu of policies. We want it to be really clear and easy to understand what you have to do to comply and what is out of compliance so that there's not a lot of ambiguity. We don't have to take people to court to figure that out. You know, either you meet the requirements or you don't. Um, and we think that that's gonna really help with uh, adoption of the right types of strategies in more places. We're also providing more uh, funding for local governments so that they have the resources to do more of the community engagement, to do more of their due diligence and looking at the policies that they should adopt. So I think those are some of the ways that we're trying to kind of change some of the dynamics that you're describing. Yeah, so touching on that, um, what's coming up here in Clark County is um, the the dis, the population projections, which I understand there's three different ones. Um, you know, the building industry that's very influential um, would probably want that higher projection, um, but probably the goal for the that the people would want and to um to deal with climate and create walkable cities all of this stuff would would be shooting for the low 
projection. Does that sound correct? I know you're not like an expert on Clark County, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's hard for me to say specifically without knowing more about, you know, we look at those projections in, in counties all over the state and and try and kind of take into account the local context when advocating for what type of projection we think should be used. But I would say in general, um, our focus is less on whether to pick the low, medium, or high projection and more on where that growth gets uh, projected to within the county. So we would really like to see more of the growth that, that the county and all of its cities are planning for go to places like Vancouver, then go to unincorporated parts of the county that don't have urban services um, that are going to require a lot of new infrastructure to be built um, and that are going to have big environmental impacts and impacts on farmland. So, um, you know, we we are not anti-growth. And, and, you know, and in fact, I think there there's an importance to acknowledge that, like, Places like Clark County have been growing a lot, and we we do need to be accommodating people. Um, you know, both like our kids um, uh, who are going to be you know moving out of their parents' houses and getting their own places, but also people who are moving here from other parts of the country because it's a wonderful place to live. Um, but we just need to be accommodating that growth in a good way. Understood. Awesome. Um... I'm trying to think what else. So at this point, what we want is uh, is is people to support the now Senate bill um, for the amendment to the Growth Management Act to add a climate element. Um, we can include information from FutureWise in the show notes. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners that we haven't covered yet? One small other thing I'll just flag are some of the other parts of the bill that are maybe a little less high profile. If we have a few more minutes to talk yeah. about those. Oh, absolutely. Um, so we didn't we didn't talk that much about the the climate adaptation piece of the bill and i think that this is something that is really important um we see it showing up in different ways for different parts of the state but um you know for the first time we're going to have planning for the urban wildland interface and thinking about forest fire risk for example we know that that's something that you know, too often we're building new communities in places that have really high forest fire risk, and those risks are growing as the climate is changing. Um, we are also going to be planning for sea level rise for the first time. Um, this still kind of shocks me when I think about it that like our communities don't currently plan for sea level rise, like our and in fact the plans that we do currently sort of uh, blatantly ignore that the sea levels are changing, that certain places are going to be underwater in the future. Um, so those are um, those are other aspects of the bill that I think are really important for people to be aware of. Um, there also is a, a direct connection in the bill between uh, climate and uh, local health impacts. And so one of the things as we're reducing greenhouse gas emissions, 
cities and counties will also be required to look at uh, local sources of pollution connected to those emissions and um, are are those reductions coming to the communities that have been hardest hurt hit by pollution in the past? Um, are we helping to clean up their air um, and improve their their health and quality of life as well? Um, and as part of that, we're introducing the concept of environmental justice and a definition of environmental justice into the Growth Management Act for the first time. Um, the the other thing, and this is a little bit wonky, but for the, the kind of transportation nerds out there. Um, we are changing the the way that we have to plan for transportation infrastructure. Um, there's this uh, aspect of transportation planning called level of service, where basically as you grow, you have to show that you have the transportation capacity to meet that growth. Um, and we're requiring that that move away from being an auto-centric um, level of service. So auto-centric kind of vision of what that transportation capacity is to being multimodal so that you're not just investing in additional um uh you know in additional kind of road miles but you're investing in better sidewalks um, better transit service um protected bike lanes curb cuts for wheelchairs things like that um so i just want to highlight some of those other features that i think really help kind of tie the the um overarching framework of the bill together. Um, and um, and yeah, in terms of, of advocacy, um, so it's it's now, if I'm getting this right, I get a little confused by this, but I think that our House Bill 1181 is now an engrossed substitute House Bill 1181, which is what they call it when it moves over to the Senate. Um, well, that's right. And, you were still saying it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So it's not even called a Senate bill? It's even not even called the a Senate, Senate bill. It has a, a funny name. It's like okay. ESHB, something like that. So um, we'll get you. I really should know this stuff better than I do. We'll get you the details on that too, so that folks can have like we can make sure you have a link to the the state legislature's website on the bill, so people can read the bill for themselves. Um, and uh, we'll make sure to uh, get a link to how to be involved in advocating for passage and we, we've got to move out of our first committee um we're hoping in, in the next uh two weeks so uh lots of action coming up uh first committee or how many other committees does it have to move yes <laughs> so so first you pass out of the the policy committee so there's like a committee that kind of governs that policy area um, and then after that, you move on to if if there's a budget impact of the bill, which this bill does have, there's a fiscal committee that then you go to afterwards and you have to move out of that committee. And then you go to the rules committee, which is the committee that decides when a bill can go to the floor for a vote of the full Senate in this case. So we've got three committees to get through um, and a floor vote. Um, and we're expecting there'll probably be some minor amendments in the Senate. And so then there, there has to be a, a process to reconcile the House version and the Senate version of the bill. So there's a bunch of steps that still have we still have to go through, which again is, is why I think we're most worried about time in this case. Um, we've got a lot of great support from the legislative leadership, from the governor, um, uh, from a lot of other uh, advocacy partners around the state. Um, we just really have to 
uh, keep the, the pressure up and help people understand that this is a really important piece of legislation so that it can be prioritized and we can get it passed this year. Perfect. So, yeah, so more support from the constituency um, is going to indicate to the legislators that, okay, hey, we need to prioritize this. This is going to be one of the first things that we we try to pass or, you know, one of the top things we're going to pass this year and, and get it done this year. <laughs> okay. And, yeah. And I'll say, you know, sometimes just, just thinking about, you know, uh, the districts in Clark County, you know, we both really need, we need supporters of the bill to hear that their constituents are excited that they're supporting the bill. We need uh, legislators who might be on the fence to really be uh, convinced that this is something their constituents really want. We also know there are going to be some legislators in Clark County who are never going to vote for the bill, um, but they can either, you know, say, well, you know, this isn't something I support, um, but I'm not going to get that involved. Or they can say, like, I'm going to make it my life's purpose to, like, kill this bill and stop it from happening. Um, and I think that that it's also really valuable for uh, those folks to hear from their constituents. Because I think if, if even if they don't end up supporting the bill, if they know that there's a lot of people in their district that do, they're not going to make it their life's purpose to kill it. And that's going to be really helpful for us. So don't be dismayed if if you feel like one of your legislators um, is one of those people that may never change their mind on their vote. Um, you can actually still really help us get the bill passed by putting some pressure on them. Love it. <laughs> okay, yes. Public pressure is the key. Um, Alex Brennan, thank you for joining us. Um, Thanks so much, Carissa. <laughs> yeah.
Podcast. Give it a try.